Hello everyone, this is Francesca and this is episode 10 of my, my podcast, Let Me Take You on a Psychology Adventure. This episode, we're talking about mastering the seven principles of influence and persuasion. So we're talking about influencing people and what I'm about to share with you can be used as manipulation or in an ethical way to influence people. And I invite you and highly recommend to use these techniques with caution and to do it ethically. All right. So Robert Cialdini published his book, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion in 1984. And in it, he explores factors that affect the decisions that people make, particularly in relation to sales and purchasing. And you can use them to your advantage when trying to persuade others to take specific decisions or actions or even buy a specific product. The six key principles that Cialdini identified are one, reciprocity, scarcity, authority, commitment or consistency, liking and consensus or social proof. So we're going to go into detail into each and every every one of them. So Cialdini says that humans have pre-programmed recordings based on preconceptions or assumptions we've grown up with and that we have accepted as children. And they appear as kind of a ready-made automatic weapon of influence in the, hand, in the hands of those who know how to use it. So, for example, it's human nature to hate someone who offers us bad information or bad news, even if that person didn't cause that, that action. It's mere a trigger of our aversion. Persuasion is like an automatic weapon that's divided into three parts. One, a complex and subtle mechanism that activates the weapon. Two, anyone who knows how to trigger them can use the power. And three, automated influence weapons give power to those who wield them. The person holding the weapon uses its power to persuade the person. An example is how we distinguish between two objects. When two things are presented consecutively, we tend to see the second item differently. To persuade someone about our ideas, we first downplay a similar idea that belongs to someone else. This is why sellers show potential buyers the most costly or the most expensive item first, and then work their way down to persuade them into buying something else that, because the next item appears cheaper in comparison to the first one. So let's go into the seven principles. So the first one is, is reciprocation or reciprocation. So humans value equality and balance to some extent. This means we don't like to feel that we owe to other people. Generally speaking, when people have these social obligations, they try to settle them. Humans live strictly by a rule of reciprocation to make to, that makes them seek to give back what they take. When someone sends us a present, for example, or invites us to an event or remembers our birthday or does us a favor, 
we feel obligated to return the favor. So, for example, if someone sends you a birthday card, you'll almost certainly want to send them one in return. You'll do this when their birthday next rolls around so that you settle your sense of social obligation. Humans hate being owed money to the point to that, that a tiny gift or favor will often elicit a larger reciprocal response. This result is a web of debt that has you repaying whatever kindness you've received. This is the rule of reciprocation. This rule states that we should try to repay what another person has given us um, in time or gifts or whatever it is. And it is by far the most widespread and widely employed way of influence. Our ancestors uh, essentially survived by relying on someone else to reciprocate an activity they had previously offered. They were exchanging favors, services, and the reciprocity rule is quite powerful. A study showed that people offered a free piece of chocolate were 42% more likely to buy that chocolate in store. Most of them didn't even buy the chocolate. They didn't buy because they liked the chocolate so much. The reciprocity rule is so powerful that it overshadows the influence of other factors such as liking someone. We should always be on the lookout for the people that are trying to use this against us and avoid falling into this trap. We need to prevent the activation of reciprocation as a persuasion tactic in order to nullify its effect. We can't be trapped in the requester's schemes if we don't enable them to use their force against us in the first place. So be aware of when people offer you, to, offer you favors because they might ask for something in return. If you want to be influential with people, you should not ask, who can help me there? But you should ask, who can I help? The second principle is liking. So it might seem totally obvious, but people are much more likely to be influenced and persuaded by those that they like than those that they don't. Given human nature, people are much more likely to like someone who pays them compliments and who cooperates with them than those who don't. And unfortunately, given positive evidence in relation to certain benefits of diversity, people are also much more likely to like people who are similar to them than those who are not. We see these principles played out often in the world of marketing and art advertisement. Nearly every advertisement you see will feature individuals designed to appeal to the product's target market. The more the consumer associates with uh, and likes that person, the more likely they are to be influenced by them. So this is why you'll see Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie in an advertisement, even they, though they have no relationship to that product, but because we like them, or in other cases, we associate with the person that we see, then we are more likely to be persuaded by them. So before trying to influence someone, identify your similarities and bring them to the surface. How are you similar? 
A study showed that uh, negotiators that ended up well, negotiations that ended up well for both parties, um, in those negotiations, the parties exchanged personal information about each other. So, you know, for example, when I was working as a real estate agent, usually, I was starting by sharing some personal information about myself. And I was asking people to tell me about their life. And I was, I would find a similarity between us. For instance, we both like dancing or we both like going out with our family. So I would highlight that similarity. To use this principle in the world of work, for example, you simply need to become liked by those around you and those you are looking to persuade or influence. You can do this by cooperating with others, by paying others genuine compliments, and by identifying similarities, as I said, and building relationships. The key here, though, is that you need to build these relationships and uh, liking before you try to influence others. So before you persuade them, you make you need to make them like you. If you try and become liked once you've started your effort to influence, then those efforts will fail. And to assist someone to like us, there need to be some factors that need to be met. So, for instance, physical attractiveness is one factor because of the halo effect. We think that people that look good or um, that take care of themselves have also other positive characteristics such as honesty, humor, trustworthiness. And this is something that has been researched a lot as, and it is called the halo effect. So if you take care of yourself and you dress nicely, you smell nicely, you are more likely to be considered trustworthy. Two is similarity. Uh, we are drawn to people who share our interests, viewpoints, personality, background, and other characteristics. As a tactic to um, feel someone that they're similar to you, you can also use mirroring from NLP, which is mirroring their body language, mirroring their words. So for instance, um, if you see, if you hear a person using some words or having a lower volume, try to use the same words that they usually use and lower your volume as well. If they have a higher pitch, use a higher pitch. So if they talk fast, talk fast as well. They, you transmit to their subconscious mind that you are like them. And you transmit to their reptilian brain that you're not a threat, that you're a friend, and that you are part of their tribe. The third thing is compliments. We really enjoy receiving compliments and we are drawn to those that give them because they validate us. So we like to, we like when people see us the way that we see ourselves. So if we consider ourselves to be an honest person, we really love when others validate us and acknowledge that we are honest. So try to see the things that people identify themselves with, like being hardworking, being authentic, whatever it is, and compliment them. Give them real compliments because if they're fake, people will sense it. The third principle of influence is consistency. People want to be consistent with what they've already said or done in front of you. If you can get them to take a small step in your direction, they will want to be consistent with that in the future. 
people like to be consistent with their identity or sense of self-image. In other words, if I'm a person who thinks of myself as a healthy person, for instance, then I'm more likely to undertake actions that I consider to be healthy. So if I identify with being a person that is healthy, I will exercise, I will eat healthy. But if I just say I'm you know, a person that does exercise from time to time, I'm less likely, I'm less likely to exercise. So also, this is a very powerful way to motivate yourself to do things is to identify, to make it part of your identity. Because once it is part of your identity and you identify yourself as the person that goes to the gym, for instance, then because it is part of your identity, it will be so important to you not to lose your identity that you will go to the gym. From a persuasion and influence perspective, this means that if I can convince you to act in a minor way in relation to something, then you'll think of yourself as that type of person and be more likely to act in that way again in the future. You'll also be more likely to increase your actions in that direction if I suggest that you do so. To some extent, we can think of this as a salami slicing tactic for persuasion. If I get you to do one little thing, then I can get you to do one more little thing that's similar. From there, you will do one bigger thing. And then before you know it, you've eaten the whole salami, as it were. Um, we see this type of behavior in the marketplace all the time with things like introductory offers, which are cheap and easy, though they become a gateway to something else. Similarly, products, giveaways can achieve the same outcomes. If I give you a free uh, cookie in the supermarket, then you may start to identify yourself as a cookie eater and be more likely to act consistently with that identity in the future. In the context of work, it may be possible to use this principle to influence and persuade others. Uh, to do this, you need to find small things to persuade people to do, uh, then move on to larger things from there. For example, if you're my boss and I first get you to agree that uh, generally speaking, some flexibility in working patterns is a good thing, then you're much more likely to agree to, pro to proceed to a four-day working week when I eventually ask for it. Interestingly, once someone has done you a favor, they identify themselves as the type of person that does favors and are actually more likely to do so again in the future. So what this means is in the world of work is that if you get someone to do you a very small favor, such as lending you a pen, buying you a coffee, then they will be more likely to do you another favor or even bigger favor in the future. Of course, however, um, you choose to behave to and with others you have to. So, of course, you have to use this ethically. The fourth principle is authority. When we are uncertain, we also always look for experts and what authority says in that area. 
If there are experts or authority figures that support our message, we should include them in our communication or testimonials, always. Always include expert testimonials as soon as possible. Everything else you say later will carry their authority. If you find more than one expert supporting your idea, then it's even better because you multiply, multiply their persuasive impact. Authority is vital to our survival as humans. Like our elders, teachers, mentors, we have learned to respect authority person, people. Our subconscious responds to requests, requests or compliance and is influenced by authority commands. For example, there is a very, very famous experiment that Milgram did. So... Volunteers were asked to administer an electric shock to patients in order to conduct an experiment. So unknown to the volunteers, the electric shocks were fake, but they didn't know that. So in spite of the victim's suffering and discomfort, the participants continued to shock, to give electric shocks to the patients until the researchers stopped them. So this shows that when there is an authority figure, we're much more likely to comply to it. Yale University psychologist uh, Stanley Milgram conducted from this study that humans are extremely willing to go to nearly any length on authority's commands. For example, despite receiving potentially fatal or um, unexpected request, nurses and junior doctors rarely oppose the judgment made by authority figures um, like the hospital's chief medical doctor. Humans often perceive and interact with authority differently. The more influence a person has, the more generous people are when measuring their importance. We see this, we see the principle of authority in action in many walks of life. Dentists in white coats are used to sell us toothpaste, for instance, or airline staff wearing universe, um, wearing uniforms to remind us of their authority. And many, um, use, for instance, email signatures where they have, um, an, a sting of qualification. And they also do that to increase authority. So in reality, it's less effective when individuals promote their own brilliance and authority than when others do it for themselves. So it's interesting, though, um, that it almost doesn't matter who that person is that promotes you, even if the person promoting you is known to benefit personally from doing so. Their word of praise it still increases your influence and ability to persuade. So if you have the chance, don't promote yourself. Don't market yourself as an authority or don't market your abilities. Get someone else to do it for you. What this means in the world of work is that building trust and credibility is very important, but that's also possible to build some of that sense of authority through recommendations and good words of others. The fifth principle is scarcity. People want more of the things that they can have less of. 
The principle of scarcity indicates the fact that people are more drawn to what they're almost losing. We are more likely to act if we fear we are losing something than gaining something. So we are more afraid to lose something than we want to gain something. Um, when pitching a sale, for instance, it's better to state that we'll lose than that we'll gain. We've all heard on travel websites about the scarcity of tickets when trying to book an airline ticket, for example. People seem to be more motivated by the thought of losing something than by the thought of gaining something to equal value. We think something is more valuable or important if it's scarce, so if there isn't a lot of it. A rare item is more desired than a common one, uh, and the rarity of an item determines its price. And the rarer an item is, the more expensive it is. In high-pressure situations, like an auction, for instance, uh, purchasers dread losing out to other bidders, and our competitors bid, making it scarcer, so we like it more and more and are prepared to pay even more for it, even if it's not worth it, even if it's something that we don't need. It's also a psychological fact that we want something more uh, if we think that we can't get it. So this is something that I also used when I worked as a real estate agent. So I would always tell my clients that I have three other visualizations for that apartment or there are three other people bidding for that apartment and that they should make their offer quick or, you know, that they should make it fast because other people want the same apartment. So my clients will always be inclined to buy it faster. Uh, this was true, by the way. I wasn't lying because uh, I, I always wanted to be authentic with my clients. Instead of rarity, we should consider utility while purchasing items. If something isn't useful to us, it's, it isn't scarce. So we shouldn't... Um, we shouldn't look at something, this is a marketing tool that a lot of companies use, but we should not be influenced by this, so be aware of it. Um, design concepts also use this approach to sway potential clients' decisions. Many e-commerce websites show the number of views, for instance, and the limited quantity of a product to create a sense of competitiveness and desire. That's a key understanding. The thrill is owning a rare commodity, not in experiencing it. It's vital not to mix them together. Whenever we face the scarcity uh, pressures of an object, we must also be um, definite about what we want from it. It's also fine if we want it for the social, economic, or psychological benefits of owning something unique, but it is. But if the answer indicates short, shortage, then just let it go. If you just want it because it's scarce. Things become more precious to us when they are less readily accessible for, us, for use by other people because we don't desire anything only for its monetary worth, but also for its utilitarian value. We should remember that scarcity doesn't make things taste, feel, sound, right, or function better. Rather, it makes them more expensive. 
in the world of work, it may be possible to create a sense of scarcity around your own availability. This may lead to an increase in desire for what you have to offer. The sixth principle of influence is consensus or social proof. Humans are social by nature and generally feel that it's important to conform to the norms of a social group. This means that when it comes to decision-making, we often look around us to see what other people are doing before making up our minds. A classic example of this um, that of this is that many people will have seen it um sorry so a classic example of this is with hotel uh, towels so there are signs that say i eight out of ten hotel guests choose to reuse their towels and these signs are far more effective at influencing and persuading others than signs that simply say reusing your towel helps to save the environment so including people that do this is way more influential and powerful than just saying that this is beneficial for the environment. And interestingly, the more socially specific communications of this type are, the more effective they are. For example, signs that say eight out of 10 hotel guests who stay in this room choose to reuse their towels are more effective than those that simply reference generic hotel guests. In a study in China, uh, menu items that were marked as the most popular became 13 to 20% more popular, just because they were marked as popular, not because they actually were. So a quick brush up on the six principles before we move on to the seventh one is one, reciprocity. The idea of reciprocity says that people by nature feel obligated to provide either discounts or um, yeah, discounts to others if they've received favors from those others. So if they receive something, they want to give it back. Psy psychology explains this by stressing that we humans simply hate to feel like we are in depth to other people. The second one is commitment or consistency. This principle explains that humans have a deep need to be seen as consistent. Once we have publicity, publicly committed to something or someone, we're much more likely to go through and deliver on that commitment. Social proof. This is when people do what they observe other people doing. When uncertain, there is safety in numbers. Then we have authority. We trust authority figures and they are more persuasive because of this. Uh, authority can be based on many factors such as wealth, uniform status, and so on. The fifth one is liking. The more you like someone, the more likely it is that you'll be persuaded by them and scarcity. When you believe someone is in that something is in short supply, you want it more. Uh, Dr. Cialdini added the seventh principle of persuasion which is unity, unity. He added this uh, principle later on. This is shared identity or togetherness, to say so. And 
In a way, the unity principle boils down to the third step on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, and it is the need to belong. So when we belong or we feel like we belong to a group, we're likely to be more open to persuasion attempts. Uh, have you ever been at a party, for instance, or conference where you met someone that went to the same university as you did or the same school, or maybe you two previously worked at the same company? You felt an instant connection. Cialdini talks about how unity can be embodied by both um, a join the group principle and be one of the few way. So it depends on the kind of person if they want to join the group or if they want to feel special and be uh, one of the few. So for instance, luxury brands tend to convey an elite club. So they use the be one of the few. Um, an example of this unity principle is that asking donations to students um, if, when they were asking for donations, experimenters received 250% more when they were, when they said that I'm a student here too. So this explains unity. So these were the seven principles of influence and persuasion. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask them or any suggestions for future podcasts. Please let me know. I'll hang around for a bit. Ciao. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Uh, hello. So, uh, can you make like a podcast about uh, a lot of people, including me, are scared about, like, death and the afterlife. Okay, okay. That's a very interesting idea. And it, it haunts me every day and maybe, like, something. Mm, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Okay, so you want me to talk about death and afterlife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Thank you for this suggestion. I'm sure that a lot of people go through this. So it's a really, really good suggestion. Thank you. Okay, perfect. If there are any other suggestions or comments, anything like that, that was a really, really good suggestion. I'm sure that a lot of people are scared of death. And this is actually really interesting. It's a really interesting topic. Because even when we are afraid, for instance, of public speaking or by being rejected by a group, a group, it always boils down to death and dying. Because, for instance, if you are rejected by a group, you, your reptilian brain lights up and it thinks, okay, if I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be isolated from the tribe or the group and I won't be able to survive on my own and I'll die. So this is an unconscious mechanism that happens in our reptilian brain because before we used to live in tribes and if someone was isolated from the tribe, they had a really big chance of dying. So even if now this is not the case, we still have that 
fear of dying uh, at the base of every fear that we have. So it's really interesting. But yes, death is a really, really interesting topic. Do you have any other comments or suggestions? And if not, I'm going to finish this podcast now. Thank you for staying here and all the way through and listening to me. And if you, if you have any other ideas that come up after this podcast, you can DM me. And have a nice day and take care of yourself. Bye.